everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we are trying to recover from a fairly sleepy Sunday. Sleepy Sunday? We've been... We have not had a whole lot of energy. We've gotten a lot of stuff done, but in terms of the energy to actually do it, we've been kind of like, the zip has been gone and it's been a push. There's no zip in your doodah, is there? Not at all. All I know is I fell asleep during the showstopper in Bake Off this week. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty decent one. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea who made Star Baker. I have no idea who got kicked off. I don't know what their, their thing was. I woke up briefly to hear something about somebody's showstopper looked like something from the Off Queens. a 70s uh, dessert cart. Yes. You, you could catch the beginning of the episode. You would have seen that. That might be why it's stuck in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> All I'll say is... is I didn't think that Henry's tactic for getting his things frozen was going to work. I thought it was going to seep and he was going to have a problem. And you were right? I was wrong. You were wrong. I was wrong. It, so he, I have to go watch this now. You should watch it. I okay. mean, it was a good idea. I just didn't think that he was going to be able to execute it the way he thought he would. Okay. I'll have to go check that out. And of course, watch Exercise. Yes. Because, you know, it was Desert Week. Desert Week. That <laughs> intro was awesome. The whole Noel is Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, good news for those of you who are Bake Off fans and didn't realize it, because maybe you were waiting for it to show up on PBS a year later, but Bake Off is on Netflix like a week after it airs in the UK. Exactly. Or it may even be the same day that it airs in the UK. I have no idea, but it's now on Netflix original series. But, yeah, which it's not. That's a lie. <laughs> it is not a Netflix original series. It may be a Netflix exclusive series in the U.S., but it is certainly not a Netflix original series. That's a lie. And the thing I really find amusing <clears throat> is that Netflix has to call it the a Great British Bake Show. And it's Bake Off. It is not the Bake Off. On Netflix, it's Bake Show. Or it's baking the Bake show. show. In, it's the baking show in the UK too. No, it's Bake Off. Are you sure about that? Positive. I double checked. Okay. Oh, are you gonna go? I I am because I did see that because it had caught my eye on the UK side. So we're gonna go to channel4.com, the current home of the Great British Bake Off in the UK. And we are going to go to the Great British Bake Off. Okay. Oh, what was that? I, I think I hear you say you were right. Okay, you were right. I will give you that. Put it on the calendar. <laughs> Somebody write that down. <clears throat> it will not be in the show notes. It better be. Anyway, Formula One's from baking to formula. That's a great combination. Well, other than the fact that I, I do think that Henry on Bake Off looks a whole lot like George Russell. No. 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 George Russell, Ken doll. Henry, not a Ken doll. To some extent, yeah, there there is enough of a simul similarity there. Nope. You okay. are wrong. Okay. That's fine. 
That's fine. Anyway, Formula One. Yes. So last week we were talking about the stupid, 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 stupid rule that says that drivers can only change their helmet design once a year. Well, we were or talking, once a season. We were talking about that because Kvyat had a special helmet that he wasn't allowed to wear, and his parents are still stuck in the gulag. Right. Probably because he could not raise the funds based on the helmet he was not allowed to wear. Possibly. Therefore, <clears throat> we declared it to be a stupid rule. Well, for more than just that. But yeah, we, we declared it was a stupid rule. Well, we have found out from Michael Mossy, the current Formula One race director, FIA race director for Formula One, why some drivers have managed to run more than one helmet design in a year. Because they didn't make sweeping color changes? Because I think that was the loophole in the rule. No, it was more because they didn't ask for permission first. Oh! <laughs> Masi said that um, Kvyat asked if he could change the helmet. They asked the question if it was a significant change in the design. He said yes, and they said, no, you can't do it. But apparently... Quite a few drivers have, they just don't bother to ask. Okay. So I'm assuming that, you know, as long as you don't go crazy and do what had, I think, initially triggered this. And, and yeah, it may have been a little overboard, but I didn't think it was that bad. Was There was a stretch, I want to say it was in 2012 or 2013, of Sebastian Vettel, who changed his helmet almost every single race. Mm-hmm. And he got in trouble in Singapore because he had flashing LED lights in his... And, and I didn't even notice those lights. But he had flashing LED lights in his helmet for Singapore. Yeah. It, it was overkill. And as a reaction, <clears throat> as all things, F1 has a reaction to something that somebody has pushed way over the line. And instead of going, okay, guys, let's be reasonable, they've decided that the appropriate response is... Shut it down. Well, they didn't. They, they acknowledge that you know there, there's something about being able to do an occasional commemorative helmet, and and they acknowledge that. But they said you can only have one. Their definition of occasional and the rest of the world is completely different. Yeah, I I, I think they just need to ditch the. It's pointless. If a driver wants to go and spend the money every race to get his helmet repainted let well actually i don't even think that necessarily it's a matter of every race they're getting the helmet redesigned i wouldn't be surprised if helmets only get used for one or two races i wouldn't be surprised if it's just weekend you know they only wear it for a weekend yeah because there's money in auctioning those things off mm -hmm. a race worn helmet especially at the top level teams maybe <clears throat> you know Maybe George Russell's worn the same helmet for a while. Yeah. I don't know if Lewis has a lucky helmet or something like that. But overall, you figure if you've crashed in any sort of way, if you've taken any sort they talk about the amount of G-forces these things take, you probably want a brand new helmet. But also, as we have heard, that drivers, there's a tradition within racing circles 
for drivers to swap helmets with each other as a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And Sebastian Vettel has done it with Lewis Hamilton, and we've seen this with other drivers. So there is a stash of helmets that the drivers go through in a season. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, if I was a driver, I would want multiple helmets. I mean, I just don't know how I was going to do my hair any given day. You'd have to accommodate the the hairstyles. That's probably just a matter of adjusting the padding blocks. Don't make it easy. Tough. (laughs) All right. So we've determined that you can have more than one helmet if you just don't ask. Don't ask. Um. (laughs) Okay. So in other news, the 2020 F1 calendar has been approved and finalized. Uh, It will be a 22-race schedule. Um, And honestly, what I think is most notable about this calendar as it has come out today is that I think this is the first time in quite a while that not a single of the races is marked as pending confirmation or provisional or anything of that nature. Wow. All 22 races are confirmed. So we we touched on, on the calendar, I think, when it was provisionally announced. So I won't go all the way through it. Um, again, the only new, the two new races that are coming for 2020 are going to be uh, April 5th, race three will be in uh, Hanoi, Vietnam. And May 3rd, race five will be Formula One's return to Zandvoort. Wow. Yeah, I'm just taking a quick look at the, the schedule. This is going to be an intense, intense schedule. But the one thing that they have managed to not do is they have not done um, a three-week back-to-back block. Oh, that's good. After they did that last year, and, and I guess the teams, well, everything we heard is the teams hated it, and they struggled to keep up with it. That was one of the big pushes that they had was to not do another three-race three back-to-back block uh, of races. Now, the season will start on March 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, which As means it seems to happen. We're not that far away from the start of the 2020 season. I know. But we're also not that far away from the end of the 2019 season. Well, that goes until December. Yeah. So, I mean, So it's two and a half months. It's two and a half months. Mm Mm-hmm. Six months to the start of F1 2020. Okay, let's get through this season before (laughs) we start counting down till next season. Anyway, the 2020 season starts March 15th in Australia at Melbourne and will wrap up on November 29th again in Abu Dhabi. Without Double Dhabi. Without Double Dhabi. We will not be going back to that one. <laughs> that is an experiment that will not be repeated. Yet. Um, now, the initial response that has come from the drivers, particularly both from Max Verstappen and even Sergio Perez, is that 22 races is a lot. Yeah, and there's probably going to be some divorces and among the mechanics Aww. over this, because it their point is it is a massive, massive time commitment. Uh, you know, if you're a race engineer, you fly in, or a mechanic, you fly in the beginning of the week, and your week starts Monday or Tuesday that you're working twelve hour days to build out the paddock. Then you've got the race weekend. And then it's another couple of days to break it down to move on to the next 
the, the next point. Now, I think where they'll be able to ease it a little, depending on the team, I don't even know if all the teams have the depth to do this, is depending on the team, they do rotate some of the personnel in, mm-hmm. and they alternate weekends. So some of the mechanics may be back at the, and, and some of the technical folks may be back at the factory working out of the, the technical control center in the factory one race, and then they go out to the, to the race actual to the track the following weekend and they alternate to try and ease some of that burden but for the drivers they're there every weekend for their race engineers they're there with the drivers the physios that you know there's plenty of folks that are still going to be there every single weekend well i mean the drivers don't show up on monday and leave on sunday i mean they're not there that whole week they show no. up on Thursday for the weekend. And so there's personnel the that's most coming. most of the leadership. There's personnel coming in and coming out. It's the it's the level of employee, whatever that grade level is at the organization, that has to show up on Monday to unload the first truck that shows up mm-hmm. and doesn't get to leave until they're putting that thing back on that truck. <laughs> um, and maybe that's where they could get some relief is that you have an A and B shift, like you got the setup crew, and then they get the race weekend off, but then the breakdown crew, you know, yeah, you know, maybe that's the way you kind of ease this a little bit is, and you have back to back races. Maybe the setup crew comes in, then the breakdown crew becomes the setup crew for the next race, and then they get off for the next race. You know, go back and forth a little bit. Yeah, there, there's going to need to be some creativity as to how they do these rotations to. I mean, it, it's still going to be a bigger impact, but how they minimize it as best they can. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be very, very key. And at the end of the day, I mean, you do have to worry and be very respectful of the families that are back home mm-hmm. that are essentially being single family, single parents. For 10 months out of the year. Yeah. From March 15th until the end of November. Come home for the holidays, but it's not like they're off work for three months. And even though the season starts March 15th, keep in mind, testing starts in February. Right. So, and it's not like they leave on the 29th of November and say, see ya, I'll see ya at uh, Barcelona when we start testing again. Yeah. No, they go to the factory and then they go put in like 10 hour days. (laughs) So, another rule that we thought was or or a proposal that we thought was kind of dumb it turns out the teams actually like reverse grids no oh good no remember the proposal we were talking about what about two weeks ago of the teams taking designing parts for the cars and then publishing them online so that the other teams could look at them as well and decide which ones they wanted to you know, they could leverage these designs and have that all available to them. Open source parts, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The teams are actually in support of it. Really? So James Allison, mm-hmm. Mercedes technical director, he says it's quite a new idea and a reasonable amount of chat is going to be needed to turn it from a promising concept into a deliverable reality, but I think it's worthy of exploring. It will take a degree of patience because imagine we're coming up to 2021 Everyone designs up to the wire and then releases and goes racing. 
So you couldn't sit there waiting for the open source design to come from a competitor thinking, I won't do that myself. I'll just wait for it to appear on the internet because by the time it appeared, it would be too late. But what he actually says is that the system would need to build up over several seasons so that there's a big enough database for all of the different solutions. And then it becomes that the best is, as he puts it, the best design eventually percolates through all of the teams, creating standardization through an F1 design style survival of the fittest. Interesting. He says it ceases to be an area where any of us would particularly want to spend development money because a good design is out there. But that's the thing that will require a bit of patience. I think it is a fairly robust way if you have that patience of making progress. And that's where my concern comes in, is that if the teams start going, well, you know, this bit worked really well, and we're just going to start grabbing, you know, a la carte from the design menu, Mm -hmm. we start losing the innovation. Well, we start losing the innovation and, oh, this bit works. There's no need to try to make that bit work better. Mm -hmm. And that's my my concern is if you roll back the dollars because, you know, it's listed up on in the parts menu and it looks like it's successful why bother doing anything else why bother making better why bother seeing if you can find the incremental increases now that said over at red bull paul monahan says what parts you put in and take out needs a little bit of thought i think it protects the sport from any errors in the standard parts that could take us into 2021 with a legacy of problems and difficulties and we're happy to participate in that open source proposal and even over at Ferrari, they're saying that they think this is a better solution than just standard parts. What uh, Laurent Mecki says is it's probably slightly complicated to come up with yet another way to classify parts for the F1 cars, but we are supportive of the fact that if I can avoid risk associated with having to have standard parts. Well, yeah, because again, you go back to James Allison's survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. I could see where at least then you could uh, one from column A and two from column B and, you know, mix and match and see how the combination of those worked. I'm assuming you would never have to announce what combination of parts you put together. Like I grabbed the Ferrari nut size, but I put it over on the McLaren oil filter I but, don't know. but the thing especially when you're starting to talk about the aerodynamic bits it starts to become kind of obvious as to you know which front wing you you went with and, and which barge board you decided to go with and which tail wing you decided to go with and do that you wind to... up building a johnny cash song possibly but th- that's the concern, though, is you're not really – I mean, there, there's nothing to drive innovation once you get that database there, and that that's what concerns me. Yeah. But Ferrari likes it, Mercedes likes it, and Red Bull likes it. So... And I think with those three, they could push it through. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they like it in comparison to standard parts. Like, it's a better well, that's solution. What Ferrari says. It's a better solution than standard parts. So – 
if we're going to get something, let's at least control what it is that we get. Kind of. But again, my argument against standard parts is the same reason I have the argument here. And I get it for some stuff. Okay, it's fine. If the control computer to drive your gearbox, everybody has the same one. Okay, fine. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows. But when you're talking about the aerodynamic parts, when you're talking about what we see and what we understand, that's where I'm not not really sure about it. Yeah, okay. I completely agree with you. We're we're on the same page. But then again, I'm pushing for a new Six World Terrell, so. <laughs> I just want somebody to think outside the box. Yeah. And that's what I'm asking for. And, I'm not and, actually asking for a Six World Terrell. But, but again, if you think of what Formula One has been pushing to do is, again, they're looking for when the team finds that one trick part that gives them the advantage— Formula One is then looks to come back behind them and shut it down. I know. I mean, it's blown exhausts. It's double diffusers. It's all of these other things that... Fan cars. Well, yeah, but the fan car blew up on them anyway. Well... I mean, it, it's different. It's unique and all that. But th- that's the point, though, is, is in modern history, in, in modern F1, we've had double diffusers. We've had blown exhausts. We've had the Coanda exhausts. Mm-hmm. And F1 shut it down. Once teams started to leverage it. Exactly. Shark fins and T-fins too. Well, that was a whole other thing. Shark fin, but the T-fin was one that they shut down. Well, they they worked to knock the shark fin down to minimize its appearance. And And they've done a pretty decent job of it so far. But it wasn't because of anything other than, well, that everyone said was ugly. Well, the shark fin was ugly. But the T-fins that were on top of it that made it look like the car was a remote control car because of mm. the antennas, they shut that down because it, it was disturbing air. Yeah. And that was its goal. So our next story. Honestly, when I saw this story, all my all I could think of was, oh, great. We're back to Williams and somebody accusing them of sabotaging a driver. Mm. That's what this felt like. So um, Robert Kibitz's main sponsor, Orlin, you see them on the side of the car. Um, they started. They, they've raised questions about Williams' decision to retire Robert out of the Russian Grand Prix. Yeah. So what happened, as you recall, was they bring in George Russell, change out his tires. And he goes off, and something happens. He loses control of the car and ends up in a wall. Right. Obviously, his race is over. About a lap later, Williams calls in Kibitza and retires his car. So the initial thought that everybody had was whatever problem, this was a precaution because of whatever problem that they had on George's car, they thought could potentially happen on Robert's car. And it was a safety thing. That's what we all assumed. Well, that's what everybody assumed. However, in the team's post-race press relief, The team clarified that it stopped Robert in order to save parts, given the busy flyaway race schedule. Uh Uh-oh. To which Orlin got a bit upset over that one. So they've officially, they, they officially went to Williams and asked for an explanation. You know, their feeling is they are paying money 
for their name to be on the card, back to the sponsorship thing that we've talked about, their name to be on the car and the car to be running on the track. Correct. And when the team turns around and goes, yeah, the car's fine, but we're going to bring you in because of we want to save parts, obviously it's a little alarming to the sponsor. You know, you're, you're afraid to race the car because you're afraid to damage it. Yeah. They're not real happy with that. Okay. Well, for starters, Williams has now uh, said that they understand what happened with George Russell, what caused the problem. Um, that was specifically due to a wheel retention issue, which says to me that uh, they didn't put the wheel on properly. That's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do say, again, that it was a lack of spares that caused them to stop Robert's car. Hmm. But it was, <clears throat> there were, they're walking a fine line, and I don't know if Orland's going to take it, of if something happened because of this, whatever this wheel retention issue was, if something had happened to the car and the car was damaged, they didn't have the parts on hand to fix it. Hmm. So they're walking a fine line there. I don't know if Orland's going to accept that answer. Well, it's not like they can go back in time and change it. You got to accept what happened as what happened. Yeah. Williams clarified and said, we were forced to retire Robert's car due to the amount of accident damage we have sustained in a Singapore-Russia back-to-back races in order to protect ourselves going into the next events. The team has worked extremely hard to ensure race quantities have improved ahead of Japan and the final races. Okay. I don't know. So the other change that that Williams brought to the car, specifically brought for Robert Kubica. Okay. Um, they discovered that um, he kind of needed a new steering wheel. Oh. So both drivers initially had the same steering wheel. And you know, with when you see a Formula One steering wheel, there's a lot of buttons and switches and dials and, and everything on there. There's adjustments that they are making through the race. But Robert has limited mobility in his right hand and his right arm. Correct. So he had requested that they move several of the controls from the right side to the left side of the steering wheel so that he had better accessibility to those controls. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Which makes perfect sense. But this was something that was requested early on in the season but because they were struggling so much with development on the car, that got deprioritized. He only got that wheel in Monza. Oh. Okay. He got the wheel in Monza. It's not like it was game-changing for him. No, it wasn't. Um, Robert does say it helps, um, and it was something that he should have had at the start of the year. Um, they're not expecting that it's going to pick up any tents or anything like that, but it's certainly going to make his life easier in the car. I mean, I'm glad for him to have an easier life. Do not misunderstand. Yeah. But he's still not beating his teammate. No. And it's not like he beat his teammate in Russia. And it's not like he beat his teammate in Monza. So. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also getting retired from Formula One next year. So. But he'll have a he'll have a steering wheel he can take with him. Yes. Custom designed. Hey. And and that's what William says is that you know. Or, is that it was always something that was on the list for them to do. 
but when they were struggling with the design challenges that they were dealing with, it's really hard to go and prioritize an upgrade that is specifically for one driver. Yeah, when both need so much. Right, and and that's why it, it took so long for them to make that happen. So we got word last week that McLaren is going to uh, Mercedes engines for 2021. Yes. A little more information. McLaren says that they had never considered going to Ferrari. It was always going to be a Mercedes thing. Okay. Um, and again, reiterating that, you know, Mercedes is the class of the field, even though right now the Ferraris are faster. Mercedes has been the benchmark, which yeah. means that we really don't have anywhere to hide. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've got to perform to the level of this engine. But they said that they never considered engines from Ferrari, and they also never considered building their own engines. Okay. So reasoning for Ferrari, or not to go with Ferrari, was simply the fact that that would be a brand clash for them. You right. Know, they produce their own sports cars. They don't use Ferrari engines. They're com- direct competitors to Ferrari. They weren't going to take their engines. It's right. not happening. Um, but when it came to building their own engines, and it's something that's been floated multiple times for McLaren, uh, their feeling was it just doesn't make financial sense. If the engine formula was going to change for 2021, which it's not, and if these engines were going to be cheaper to produce, that might have been one thing. But when you look at the the volume of cars that they produce, for them to go and start producing, because they don't build the engines for, for the McLaren car, the road cars. They, they buy them from Mercedes, from AMG. Right. So for it doesn't make financial sense for them to spin up an engine in those. That makes sense. So... Not, not happening. Okay. There's a press release that was released that came out on Thursday that a new Formula One team has, or a new team has targeted entering Formula One in 2021, and they've already said that they are targeting Pascal Verline as one of their drivers. Oh, wow. So Adrian Campos and his co-owner Salvatore Gandalfo want to use F1's major rules rules overhaul in 2021, including the budget cap, to enter a Spanish team. According to the release, they intend to use financial backing from Monaco Increase Management, which is a company that was funded by Gandalfo that lists ex-Ferrari, Arrows, and Super Aguirre uh, senior team member Daniel Odetto as an advisor. And Campos has had experience with getting teams into Formula One, he was behind the HRT bid okay. that brought them into it. Um, according to the group, MIM, Monaco Increase Management, has held meetings with Chase Carey and Ross Braun, and, he said, and Gandalfo says that they have the financial solidity required by the FIA to make this project a success. Okay. That said, F1 is again stressing that they have had no serious discussion for teams to enter the series for the 2021 season. <laughs> so regardless of this press release, the F- F1 and FIA say, um, no, we're not. We haven't spoken to anybody. We're not opening the tender process. Nobody's coming in. Got it. So we'll see what happens. Now, this is the, the second team. You know, we, we heard about the Pantera Team Asia. Uh, that they're supposedly also 
moving forward with an entry. And they also say that they've got a team of designers that are working at a Silverstone base. Interesting. So it appears that folks are trying to lay the foundation, even if F1 says that they're not ready yet. Hmm. We'll see. And in our last story, in a short show this week. It is a short show, but it's between races. It is. And you have no zip in your doodah. That too. Just, you know, reminding <laughs> reminding people that you did lead with there's no zip in your doodah. Probably showing in this week's show too. Um, <laughs> well, uh, the Sid Watkins, the 2020 Sid Watkins Scholarship uh, has been announced and is currently accepting applications. Uh, for the first time ever, the and this is the fourth, fourth year they've done the Sid Watkins Scholarship, but for the first time ever, the recipient of the scholarship will get the opportunity to work directly with the FIA Safety Department. Oh, that's cool. And for, for those of you who are not familiar with Sid Watkins, Dr. Sid Watkins, um, very well-regarded and well-respected uh, physician who died in 2012, um, but the modern push for safety in Formula One is all due to Sid Watkins, whether it's the, the Hans devices and the helmets and some of the, the medical sensors that we're now seeing in the cars and the facilities that, that are at the tracks, all of those various bits and pieces are because of Sid Watkins. And Sid Watkins had the full authority and buy-in of Bernie Eccleston to do all of this stuff to the point that if, if Sid said that a track w was too unsafe for drivers to run or that the facilities weren't up to snuff, Bernie would go to the promoters and say, fix it or we're leaving. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sid wield wielded a lot of power and was very justified in the way he did it. Um, one of the things that you hear very often is the number of retired drivers who have said that it was because of Sid that he saved my leg or mm -hmm. I was able to walk again after an accident or this, that, and the other thing. Or, you know, uh, is it Martin Brundle that had the massive crash when they could still trade out cars and he ran across the track and Sid got on the radio and said, well, it looks like you're okay because you just ran. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like he yeah. had to have a medical check and he was able to do those things. But he was instrumental in some of the things of sending people to the hospital when they absolutely needed to go mm -hmm. and getting hospital-esque facilities at the tracks. I mean, there are lives that have been saved because of Sid. Yeah. Um, so that's why the the scholarship is named after Sid. He he was a, a monumental figure in Formula One, um, but like we mentioned, for the first time ever, the role will be directly within the FIA safety department. The recipient will have the opportunity to work on various high level projects at the heart of motorsport safety, um, and and will be involved in research covering all areas from Formula One to karting, working from the FIA's Geneva office for a year. Oh, nice. So, sounds cool. How do you apply? How do you become a part of it? You already told me that I'm not qualified. Unfortunately, you're not. not in order to be considered qualified, uh, you must have recently completed an advanced tertiary qualification, so a master's degree or a PhD, and be able to demonstrate a high level of academic success. And you must be highly motivated with a strong interest in motorsport 
either in the medical or the engineering fields. And the application process is now open. I believe it is, you've got to go directly to the FIA and they've got the application there on their website. So I believe it's FIA.org off the top of my head. Okay. Go to the FIA's website and if you meet the qualifications, maybe you could have an input into motorsport safety. And if you meet the qualifications and you get accepted, you must tell them that you heard about it here. Absolutely. I like that idea. <laughs> I mean, that is the bloke and the bird influence over Formula One. <laughs> I mean, we got some smart listeners. Somebody's out there going to qualify. I, well, the recently part, that might be the issue. Not just you have to have It's not just that you have to hold the degree. But you have to have recently earned the degree. We could have listeners out there that are actively working on their FUDs. Could be. I mean, we we don't know. Could be. It's I haven't possible. checked the demographics report lately. It's possible. But if you get accepted, you have to tell them where you heard about it. And it was here. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.